You're listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org. Some of you may want to have that conversation later today with your toddler. I invite you to take the worship guide, if you will. There's two inserts there I want you to just pay attention to. We've given those to you with some attention and put a little forethought in that. I want you to make sure you see that. Today I want to talk to you, continue a series entitled Margin, Taking Back Your Life. When life has no margin, you really stress yourself out. You peg the RPMs to use a car terminology. And when you peg those terms, you peg it out, you're so stressed for weeks and if not years on end, it takes a toll on your health. And having margin in your life is creating some time for yourself and to enjoy others. Having margin in your life is creating some time in your life to enjoy the Lord and to worship. But certainly when we talk about finances, having margin in your life is having some space financially between your obligations, what you must pay, and having some enjoyment, but having some money for future days. Today I want to speak to you about the power of savings, the power of savings. Now today... This is not about math. When we talk about money, it's not about math, it's about behavior. I have a savings kind of father. I grew up with a father that loved savings. I had a father that had envelopes on a push-pin board. Anybody picture that? I thought he was super, 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 how many supers is that? Nerdy. Throughout those years, I thought, wow, this guy, he is so geeky. Pin protector, igloo lunchbox, push-pin envelope system fast forward his stupidity now becomes my stupid stupidity now my stupidity 2003 2004 i'm a young father we've just brought home our third child i'm in the most expensive house i'm i'm spending a dollar ten of every dollar i make got the picture everything's fine until the hot water heater goes out now since i was managing the money And given the fact that there may not be hot water in the home for four or five showers, what do you think the confidence level would look like in your husband or in the money manager of the house for that for us? Not very high. If I wanted to be the hero, I had to get a new hot water heater. God was so good to me. I scraped together enough dollars for that. Somebody donated the labor for that. My hot water heater story is the story about the need for savings. It became a moment in time, and you may have had one, where you're so stressed because you don't have a little put back for a time of need. Look with me today, if you will, put a bookmark along Proverbs chapter 6 and Genesis chapter 41. I want to invite you to put a bookmark in Proverbs chapter 6 and Genesis chapter 41. We're taking this seriously this year. By later this year, we're going to do Financial Peace University this upcoming August and September both here at NRH and at Cross Church, but Cross Church is doing financial peace this January. In fact, if you've not gone through this, this can change your life. Teenagers need to go through it. Adults need to go through it. You get a household synced up, moving in the right direction. This can be powerful. This can be really powerful. And I want to encourage all of us to move in this direction. Now, you may think that your money problems is an income problem, but listen to this. In 2012, a study of NBA players were done. And the study, actually 2009, Sports Illustrated study, said that 60% of NBA players, 60% of NBA players five years after their retirement 
are in bankruptcy. You think that if you had Zeke and Dak's contract, just one of their contracts, it would change your life. Do you know the following person played football for 13 years for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Warren Sapp, for a number of years. Warren was even a TV analyst. In his 13 years, Warren Sapp made over $80 million playing NFL football. You wouldn't have any problems if you had $80 million, would you? But when he filed bankruptcy five years after his NFL career, he was netting $116,000 per month from his TV revenue. All money problems are not an income problem. Most of our money problems is not about math, it's about behavior. In the moments to come, I want to walk you through some principles in God's Word where the money that just spills over the fingers, out of the fingers of these athletes, can happen to you and I. Now keep in mind the following. Forbes magazine says that we've been in a bull market from March 2009 to the present. Now, what's a bull market? A bull market is an economic expansion. For the last almost 11 years now, we've been in an expansion economy. This is the longest expansion economy in the history of finances that we know of. We're in the largest expansion economy in our history. The average bull run goes for four and a half years. We're at 11 years. Here's the truth. The financial tide comes in and the financial tide goes out. No wonder Warren Buffett talks about the power of savings when he says you never know who's swimming naked until the tide goes out. You see what he's saying, don't you? All of us are swimming. The markets are good. Money's coming in. But when the financial tide leaves, all of a sudden you thought I had a bathing suit on and you're getting to see way too much of your pastor. Now here's the truth. Smile with me, guys. Here's the truth. I'm not a financial planner and I don't pretend to be one on television. I have done stupid with money and you've done stupid with money. And God is graceful and he's kind and he provides for us in a remarkable way. In the moments to come, I want you and I as a church family to be as prepared as possible for when the financial tide goes out. Genesis chapter 41, let me get you up to speed here. The man who's the focus is the man Joseph. He's been languishing in prison for some two years. We catch up with the narrative of the story. He's been in prison, and while he's there, he had two white-collar prisoners alongside him, the baker for the Pharaoh and the cupbearer for the Pharaoh. Now, they're white-collar criminals. They've had dreams that needed interpreted, Joseph has been given the supernatural ability to interpret dreams. So two years go by, and we pick up beginning in verse 1 of chapter 41. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. And behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after him and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows. Look at this, verse 5. And Pharaoh awoke. Now move your eyes, if you will, to verse 25. Pharaoh would have a second dream, very similar to the first dream. This is when the two white-collar criminals remember, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, we gave a promise to this guy named Joseph. He's your guy. He's the guy who can interpret your dream. So that, so much, look at verse 25. Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. And God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. 
The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams, again, are one. Now move your eyes, if you with verse 25 and 26, down to verse 33, where the Bible picks up reading this. Now, therefore, Joseph counsels Pharaoh. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him up over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land, take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years, and let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities, and let them keep it. Verse 36, the food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are occur in the land of Egypt, so that the land may not perish through the famine. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. You know what a cork is? If you have a body of water, even a small body of water, you push the cork down in the water, what's going to happen when you take your hand off the cork? The questions get much harder from here. Let's try this again. If you have a cork and you put it in a body of water and you take your hand off the cork, what's going to happen to the cork? It's going to pop up. That's Joseph. You can push Joseph down, but he keeps popping right back up. In fact, imagine Joseph's life, a day in Joseph's life. He wakes up after the 700th day in prison. His mind for that day, Thursday, Friday, whatever day it would have been, would have been okay. We're going to go into the yard, lift some weights. We're going to do a little recreational time. Hopefully the bad dudes in prison won't, you know, beat me up today and whatever else they might do. But all of a sudden, God picks him up, puts him in the equivalent of a black limousine with secret service detail around him. And by that evening, he has people waiting on his every command. But he also has a lot of decisions to make. He is pressed for decisions, and he has to get a plan in order. Now, Moses did not write Genesis chapter 41 to teach about savings, that we can learn something powerful about savings. Because Joseph sees this. He's got a supernatural ability to see the future through dreams. Seven years of plenty are followed by seven years of famine. Seven years of good are followed by seven years that are going to come after it. Now, I'm not here today as a pastor to say that the Holy Spirit's revealed to me that financially this is a bad year. I'm just here as an observer like you to say the following, 11 years of good after a while, could be 2030, could be 2021. At some point, the tide's going to go out, and we need to learn the lesson of Joseph, the power of savings. You see, there's at least four things that you can do with your money. You can first work for your money. Let's stop there and make sure all the generations are hearing that. If you want money, you must work. Those who work tend to have more money. Those who don't have much money tend not to work as much. The first way about money is you work. The second thing, we love this part, to spend money. Spending money is one of the funnest things, right? Especially when it's your money, to spend. Here's the third thing we can do with money. We can save money. 
Saving money is an important tool that we're going to see in the moments to come that can impact your home, impact your marriage. Even if you're single, saving can do something powerful. And the fourth is to give money. We're going to look at that a week from today. Many of you have not discovered the joy of giving to those in need. But today we're looking at the power of savings. Now, Joseph teaches us something about using money wisely. And using money wisely is not about math. It's not about calculus. It's not about algebra. Using money wisely is about behavior. It's about action. And when we learn the lesson of Joseph, we learn at least two powerful things he did. First was discipline. Joseph had discipline. The second thing is he had delayed gratification. If everyone in this church family were to learn discipline and delayed gratification, even if we didn't know the Lord, we'd be powerful in the community. What's delayed gratification? Delayed gratification is at the moment I'm offered $100, but if I were to refrain from taking the 100 I would be promised 200 if I wait a certain amount of time. Delayed gratification is a muscle that needs to grow. Have you ever worked really hard? Someone like myself who may work in the yard or work in a ranch or a farm someplace for a day or two, and at the end of the day or two, you may come to me and you say, Scott, how do you feel? And I might say to you, I've got muscles that are hurting that I did not know I had. You ever been that way? Delayed gratification is a muscle that needs to grow. We need to grow this muscle. Go back to Joseph for just a moment. Using discipline and delayed gratification, he proposes a flat tax, a one-fifth, 20% of all the income, all the grain of Egypt. He gets in charge of things. He said, this is what we're going to do. We're going to create storage cities. And in the storage cities, we're going to send out 20% of the grain, and we're going to store it there. He does three things through the first seven-plus years. First, he decentralizes the food supply so that when the famine comes, there's easy access to the food. Speak to your grandparents or your great-grandparents and find out what the run on banks would have looked like during the Depression. I've got members of our family who would sow cash in their drapes because they remembered the run on banks during the Depression. You need to secure the grain, Joseph remembered, and he understood this. He put the food in secure locations, but when the time was necessary to feed the people, he didn't make it one location, but many locations. Here's the third thing he did, and this is the most powerful thing he did, is he saved for a rainy day. Now, unlike Joseph, you and I don't know. God has not told us a rainy day will start in 2027. We don't know that. But we do know this. Rainy days are coming. Texas has its own rainy day fund, followed by 46 other states of a rainy day fund. And God wants you to save for a rainy day. In fact, it's interesting here. Joseph, who knew the Lord, was in a country where no one knew the Lord, Watch it carefully. Joseph, who knew the Lord, was in a country where no one knew the Lord, and yet God was caring and compassionate that the Egyptian people would eat. He sent Joseph ahead of time so that Egyptians who didn't know the Lord would be taken care of. And in the process, Joseph was used to feed his own family, God's people, back in Israel. God wants 
whether you know the Lord today or not, he wants you to save for a rainy day. Remember the words of Warren Buffett. There's a day coming when the tide will go out and we're going to know who's swimming naked. Noah, Noah sees this. He builds an ark literally for a rainy day. Joseph saves food for a day when he may not have an income. Years ago when I was pastoring in the Panhandle, Texas, it was a very different terrain, very different people. Having grown up out east, the places where there's trees and people were a little bit different, Tracy and I were learning through our time in the Panhandle all kinds of things. I remember among the things talking to the deer hunters, and I thought that deer hid in the forest, and I thought to these deer hunters and said to them, where are the deer out here? There's no trees for them to hide in, and they assured me they were there. And among the other comical things that I learned was I spoke to one of our members who's in the oil business for decades. Now, when I say oil, I pronounce it like it's O-I-L. When a Texan says oil, it's more like it's all. And so I just want to try to do my best at pronouncing it and the other way to make sure we all know that I'm speaking about black gold. You with me on this? So I'm in this oil guy, been in there for decades, father was in it, brother-in-law was in it. And I said, you know, this is an interesting business. I had never been around it before. The whole town was centered in on petroleum. Everybody's job was related to it at one time or another, at one way or another. And I said, tell me the success of what you're doing and how you've been doing it for so long. He said, this is the success. Then in the peak years, in the peak years, you don't spend everything you make because the oil business is cyclical. The tide goes out and the tide comes in. At the time, I remember him saying to me that the price per barrel of oil for profit, anything over $70 was profit, and they would operate in those years. But watch the key. It's the principle of Joseph. You don't spend, he said, everything you make because you realize the cycle's going to go down. And when the cycle goes down, you're operating with no profit. Here's what would happen. He said, everybody comes out here when the price of oil is high. They jump in on the business. They're running with it. But then they get off the merry-go-round the moment that there's no profit. Why? Because they have no money back for the time that cycles down. That's the lesson of Joseph. Now today, you don't have to be an economic prognosticator. You don't have to be a finance major, an accounting major. God knows I'm one of the stupidest people when it comes to spreadsheets. But the Bible still calls upon all of us to alter our behavior to save for a rainy day. Think with me about this for just a moment. Think with me. Some of us remember the Depression. Some of us remember the fuel crisis of the 1970s during the Carter administration. I remember sitting in line with my mom and dad in our big Buick station wagon back in the day when people had to ration gasoline. How about the farm crisis during the Reagan years or the recessions? How about we've had Black Mondays, which are not nearly as fun as Black Fridays, but Black Mondays. There was the dot-com bubble. There's the housing crisis of about a decade ago you would have been in elementary school, and they say there's a looming student loan crisis just around the corner. You see, we're in 11 years of prosperity, and if you're prudent and if you're wise, you take those economic boom years and you put a little back because you realize 
just like Joseph, for seven years or seven months or seven minutes, going to come in behind this, and it's going to be very different. Take your Bibles, if you will, and turn with me to Proverbs chapter 6. Not only does Joseph get this, but in Proverbs chapter 6, there's an important, tiny little creature that we can all remember. I'm so grateful that the Bible put this in the simplest of language. All of us can grab a hold of this. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6. You'll want to just put this somewhere and take notes and make sure you highlight this and circle this. Beginning in verse 6, the Bible instructs you and I to one of the tiniest creatures known to man. It says, go to the ant, O sluggard, and consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest? And what will happen? Poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. The Bible points you and I to the tiniest of creatures for a powerful lesson. It points us to the ant. It says, look at the ant. The ant is productive. The ant does not have a supervisor present. And even when the supervisor is not there, the ant is productive. Can I ask you a question, a very personal question? How productive are you when the teacher is not in the room? How productive are you when there's no oversight over you? Hear me? How productive are you? The Bible says, go to the ant. For when the ant knows that the boss is going to show up eventually, the ant's very productive. But notice that's also the ant plans. The ant prepares. In the harvest, end of verse 7, she's gathering food for harvest. The ant, though doesn't have the brain power that you have, foresees in the future. The ant works today for tomorrow. The ant works on Monday for next Monday. The ant recognizes that the harvest is coming in at the end of summer, but winter is around the corner, and if you don't put some back, you're going to be really, really challenged. The ant understands savings. You see where the Bible speaks about a slugger there? Verse 6, then again a few verses later. The Bible's not very complimentary, is it? calling you and I sluggards. What's a sluggard? What does a sluggard look like? Someone put it this way. Take maple syrup, put maple syrup in a cold refrigerator. Got the picture? Take the maple syrup directly after multiple hours in the refrigerator, begin to pour the maple syrup onto your waffles and your pancakes. How fast is the maple syrup? That's your sluggard. That's what a sluggard looks like. Just moving very slowly not active, not quick to work, and not quick to make plans for a future day. Again, this is not a difficult principle. You don't have to have a PhD from MIT to get this thing. What you do have to have is discipline and delayed gratification. And when those two pieces come together, you're going to have money set aside for the future. Now, there's some spenders in the room. There's spenders and there's savers, and sometimes they're married together. Spenders are married to savers, and savers are married to spenders. There's a gas pedal and a brake married together right now. I could ask you if I was really bold to point toward the gas pedal in your relationship, but I won't do that. 
I don't want to create that kind of disharmony in the church and have people throwing things at one another like a Jerry Springer show. But what I will say is the following. What I will say is the following. You have to get and put the brakes on this. And your older self, if your older self could walk in the room and speak to your younger self, will thank you and compliment you for the saving that you will do today. Let me give you a choice of two vacations. Let's have two Disney vacations. Now watch carefully. You're going to bring whoever you like to Disney. I didn't say you had to bring your family. It's whoever you like. You can speak. Let's take five people to Disney. And you're going to do seven days, six nights to Disney. Here's the trick, though. You're paying for the trip. All right? Now, trip number one to Disney, you take four of your closest friends and yourself, seven days, six nights, but you haven't saved for Disney. Now, every dollar you spend on the Disney trip is on a credit card. Average interest rate of a credit card is 17%. You ride the rides, you eat the food, you use your fast track, you go to the hotel and the rental car and the plane, and you enjoy yourself for those seven days, but you're thinking to yourself, it's going to take me probably a year to pay this back, if not longer. Your second trip, you take the same four people, the same seven days, six nights, same plane, same rental car, all the thing. Only this time you saved. You saved for the trip. You know, between those two trips, the lines are just as long. They charge just as much for Coca-Cola, way too much. But you know why you enjoy the second trip so much more than the first? You don't have that guilt over you thinking, I hope I have a job all this next year. I hope I get this paid for. I hope the water heater doesn't go out while I'm paying for this. Because what's happening is this trip's costing me nearly 20% more for the same enjoyment. You see the power of savings? It adds margin to your life. It reduces stress in your life. Parents in the room are running to the website and saying, you will listen to this, my teenage child. They want you to get this. Everybody, we want to get this. Our older selves know the importance of this. In fact, look at Proverbs chapter 21, verse 20. I want you to get ready. I want you to see it. I want you to read it together. You ready? On the count of three. One, two, three. Precious. Now, I want you to hold on to that verse for just a moment. I want you to look at it. It does not say treasure and oil are in a rich man's dwelling, does it? It doesn't say anything about rich. It says a wise man's dwelling. This person could be the lowest tax bracket in America. They could be just eking by, but they save a little bit. Now, listen carefully from a pastor's perspective. I've seen get-rich-quick people in my church over the years, and I've seen the not-so-get-rich-quick people. I've watched carefully if I've watched those who have their plans to prosper in the following, and I've watched even a school teacher. A school teacher over 40 years, when she plans wisely and she works with her money well, she'll have money, he'll have money put back. And I'll take the tortoise to the hare any day of the week when the tortoise understands delayed gratification and discipline. This is not an income situation. This is a discipline and delayed gratification piece. Let me tell you here, we're going to give you three levels of practical saving before we continue. But let me tell you this, this is not savings. 
This is not what saving looks like. This is not savings. You go to Amazon later today, you find $100 jeans. Why are they $100? Because they've got holes in them, and that's so much more. So you buy the $100 pair of jeans, but they're on sale for $55, so you save $45, right? But show me where the $45 is in your pocket. You did not pocket $45. That's not savings. Let me show you three levels of savings that the aunt and Joseph want you to pay attention to. Here are three levels. First level is save for emergencies. Emergencies will come. And I want to encourage you to put $1,000 back for an emergency. Your car is going to have a bill. You will have a medical bill. Nobody's insurance pays for everything. You're going to have a $1,000 emergency room bill. You're going to have a $500 car bill. And you need to save for an emergency. Now, here's the truth. The Federal Reserve has done a multi-year study. The Feds. That's who makes sure that the money in your bank is there when the bank says it will be. The Feds say that one of every two Americans, nearly one of every two Americans, cannot cover a $400 emergency without borrowing or selling something. One of every two Americans cannot cover a $400 emergency without selling something or borrowing money for that. If you're here today and you're hearing that and you're thinking, that's me, God is kind and he's graceful, I'm telling you, he's given me many mulligans. But the proper perspective is for you to have the discipline to say to your spouse, if you're married, if you're single, to a good friend, that's going to change as of today. How could I do that? Well, how about putting $100 back over the next 10 months and getting that $1,000? $100 in January, $100 in February. Say, well, Pastor, I just don't have $100 to spare. Go to the place where you have a bunch of junk, a bunch of junk, and go sell some of it to get to the $1,000. In fact, if you're married, go find some of your wife's junk and sell it and get to that $1,000. Now, don't come to me when you have marriage issues. I don't want to talk to you. But more seriously, go to the closest trash dump. You know what you'll find there? You'll find last year's Christmas treasures. You'll find that birthday gift that you could not live without. You want the peace of mind of putting $1,000 back in savings. It will reduce your stress in life. Here's a second. Save for emergencies. Secondly, save for replacements. Save for replacements. One of my children, I love all of my kids, but I had a great dad moment this past week. This child was uh, dealing with some car issues and was telling me how expensive cars are. <laughs> it was a great moment. And so they're having to pay for this repair. And so I walked from the living room into the kitchen and I shook this individual's hand and I said, welcome to adulthood. It was a fantastic moment right then and there. It was great. You see, your tires are going to need to be replaced. They're going to need to be replaced. Whatever brand that you have, you're driving on them and they're going to need new tires at some point. But the truth is, many of us have not saved for replacement. And when you don't save for replacement, here's what happens. They're going to sell you the tires you're going to need in a month, six months from now, on interest. And you're going to be paying more for those tires. Save for replacements. J.P. Morgan Chase did a study. They studied many of our checking accounts because a lot of our checking accounts are with Chase. And this is what they discovered, that when we lose income, and you will lose income, you will lose jobs, emergencies will happen. 
that on average, Americans need about $5,000 back in savings. That would cover us five to six weeks without a paycheck. That's on average, $5,000. The problem is we have $2,000 in our savings, leaving a $3,000 gap. Now, friend, you do that over a number of years. Do you know the stress that it causes juggling paying this bill in January and that bill in February, but getting back over here and not answering the phone when people call because you're screening creditors, but hating also to go to the mailbox because there's another bill that's come in. This is not about math. It's about behavior. Listen to the ant. The ant's telling you to save for a rainy day. Listen to Joseph. He's telling you to save for a rainy day. Here's how you can do this, two practical ways. Automatic transfer. When I get my paycheck on the 1st and the 15th, and you get your paycheck on the 1st and 15th, your automatic thing is you want to spend everything there. But if you automatically transfer, I transfer part of my paycheck over to a savings account that's more difficult to get a hold of. And that becomes a discipline. I don't even see the money, and the money is out of my checking account before the first thing I know anything about it. It's sort of a forced savings. Let me share with you a second thing to try to achieve this five or six weeks savings, five or six weeks of income savings. Go through your bank and do an audit. See what is being automatically drafted from your account. You're paying for 2015's resolution where you joined a health club, but they wouldn't know you there if you showed up this year. You're, you're, you're paying for Disney Plus because you said, I can't save. I've got to watch Frozen the 18th time. I just have to have Disney Plus. Some of you are wasting a number of dollars through those automatic withdrawals. Why do they ask you and say $1 for the first two months? I'll tell you why, because you have to get a senator and a mafia man to cancel it at the end of the second month. <laughs> if you will pay attention to automatic withdrawals that are coming and automatic transfers, you can find yourself within a year from now at a much better place. By the way, the number one regret Americans had this holiday, number one regret when it came to money, not saving enough. When asked that question, the holiday of 19 compared to the holiday of 18, double the people said, I wish I was saving more. You need to save for a place. Here's the third, you need to save for retirement. Everybody in the church is about to get extremely depressed what the pastor's gonna say but you need to save for retirement. Why do I say that? Why do I say you're gonna be depressed? Because at age 30s, you're to have one time, Fidelity says you're to have one time your average salary back in your 30s. If you're in your 40s, it should be three times your annual salary, your take-home income, three times. In your 50s, they say that should be six times. In your 60s, it should be eight times, and by the time you're 67, they said that you should have 10 times, 10 times your income back. It's like everybody in the room is depressed right now. We all want to go take some sort of medicine. Here's the truth. You say, Pastor, I don't know about this whole thing about retirement. I'm never going to retire. I'm going to work to the day I die. Fine. Great. Praise the Lord for you. Is your employer ever going to lay you off or fire you because of age discrimination? Are they ever going to wake up and say, gosh, you're 50, 55. I can get a 20-something-year-old to do your job 
half your income and look prettier than you. Is that going to happen to you? Oh, how about this? You're going to be healthy until you're 67, until you're 77. Can you guarantee that for me? No, you cannot. You need to save today for retirement. Because even if you do work all the way to the end, praise God for you, but you need to have some money back for the day and time when maybe your health isn't great or they do something to you that's not fair. And when that happens and when you've done this, not a math problem but a behavior problem, you are going to be stressed, yes, but you would have been so much more stressed, so much more stressed had you not done this. You know why? Because you're acting like Joseph. In the seven years of plenty, you're putting something back. In the seven years of famine. You know one other thing you can do, and a powerful thing? You can be a huge blessing to somebody else. The truth is, not many people will listen to me today. Not many people will change their behavior. And for the handful that do, and you modify your behavior, and you put some money back, and though you don't make a lot, you do it decade after decade after decade, all of a sudden, when other people are in crisis, you can step up and be a cup of cold water in the name of Jesus. You can pay a bill for somebody. You can speak into their life and talk to them about the Lord Jesus Christ using the tool called money. I want to close with this because this is what we often do. Imagine if you're building your dream house, whatever that looks like, your dream house. And uh, you go out one day where they're building it. And you get out there and they've got the studs up. They've got a few other things done, but they don't have the, don't have the roof on your house yet. But you, you've picked out the perfect the perfect chandelier. You've had this chandelier for decades, and you want this chandelier to hang in your foyer. And you go to the job foreman, and you say, the house is looking fantastic. Hey, can we hang this chandelier in the foyer? <laughs> and all the people are going to look. They're going to lay their hammers down. They're going to all that, and they're going to look at you, and they go, you are back crazy. You're an idiot. You know why? You don't hang chandeliers you don't fluff the pillows on a house that doesn't have roof, doesn't have drywall, doesn't have heat and electricity. And many of you today, you put your lifestyle first. Because everybody else that went to college with you has got this lifestyle. And everybody else in the street has got this lifestyle. And everybody else in your family, your sister or brother has got this lifestyle. So you're putting the chandelier in a house where the roof, there's no savings. There's no thinking that God owns everything. And you will live a life of incredible stress as long as you keep putting a lifestyle first until you learn to pay the Lord and pay yourself. And when that happens, and you do that for a number of years, you'll be calm over your house. They don't want to do a reality show about you. You don't have enough drama. There's calm over your house. And then all of a sudden, you're the oasis for other people in emergencies. You don't tell them that you got money because they'll come find you. But you are, you're an oasis. You bless people. And you bring a smile to their face. You give them a hug in Jesus' name. Don't you want that kind of life? I want that kind of life.
Thanks for listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org.